Hello, dearest listener. You have tuned in to At Your Peril by Arthur McBain and Owen Jenkins. Before we begin, a parish notice. A warning. What you are about to hear may terrify and horrify you to the very core of your being. It may also involve content unsuitable for children, those with a nervous disposition, or wimps. If you must, turn off your receiver now. No? In that case, we shall begin at your peril. You underestimate Gladys Paul at your peril. Everyone knows it. At least everyone in the village of Little Nazing knows it. And everyone who frequents the Oxen's Yoke in the neighbouring town of Burlish knows it. And anyone who knows anyone who frequents the Oxen's Yoke in the neighbouring town of Burlish knows it. And of course, everyone who attends any of the country fairs or flower shows anywhere in the entire county the Burlish at the start of summer, the Manor Farm Show, the Spennythorne and Thaxford, the High Millington, also knows it. From the big shows to the small, Gladys Paul will be there, her flowers at the ready, sweeping the rosettes clean. Not that anyone begrudges her, not even her competitors, for Gladys Paul, a widow in her mid-eighties, is the kindliest, friendliest, most twinkly-eyed old person you could imagine. Hair grey, bowed and shrunk with age, step frail. Her uniform of choice, a navy cardigan with ankle-length skirt, floral high-necked blouse and a schoolgirl-style hat, navy with red ribbon round the rim. She carries glasses on a chain, though only for effect. She thinks they finish her look. In reality, her eyesight is as sharp as it was when she was 18. All the better for spotting aphids or black spot or Botrytis Blight. Gladys Paul began growing flowers 20 years ago, two weeks after her husband, Ron, died at the age of 81. Until then, the garden had been his job, a job that killed him, though he would have said it was a good way to go. In fact, he did say it, as he sat slumped beneath the cherry tree, clutching alternately his chest and his wife's hand. He told her that he loved her, that he had had a good life, and that he couldn't think of a better way to finish it than sitting in the lovely garden of their lovely cottage with his even more lovely wife. He thanked her for being her and for having chosen him, and with his final breath asked that she would bury him right there, if the idiots at the local council would allow it. At least that's how Gladys tells the story, so many times now that she half believes it to be true. In reality, Ron's end wasn't so romantic. Death isn't, really. There were no whispered words of love, no sweet sorrow in the parting. Just pain and disbelief, and a soul seared, the Rubicon crossed. What is true is that 13 days later, after much arguing over the Burial Laws Act, Ron's body was buried in the garden of their lonely cottage. No headstone, the only marker two flourishing begonias, one planted at Ron's head, the other at his feet. 
and if it hadn't been for those two begonias, Gladys Paul might never have become what she did. The scourge of little nasing. Good morning, Mrs. Paul. Good morning, Millie. And do call me Gladys. How are you well, dear? I'm fine, thank you, Mrs. Paul. Lovely day. Oh, are you out of eggs? Yes, I'm sorry. Mum says the hens have gone broody. Oh, that's a shame. Well, you can't dictate these things, I suppose. I shall just have to go without today. What would Ron have said? <laughs> Poor old Ron. Never liked to go without his egg. Mum says they'll snap out of it quick. Oh, that's fine, dear. I'll just get some bread and bovril. Good morning, Mrs Tillerson. Morning, Millie. How are you? I'm fine, thank you, Mrs Tillerson. Morning, Margaret. If you're after eggs, I'm afraid they're out. The girls have gone broody. Oh, that's a shame. I was, actually. Mum says they'll snap out of it quick. Never mind. You can't make an omelette without eggs. <laughs> Gladys, did you hear? They've finally given up on the vicar. They're going to give us a new one. Well, it's about time, I say. He's been gone six months at least. How does a church lose a vicar? I say there's a woman behind it. There usually is. I always said that man needed a wife. My friend's gone as well. Which one's that, dear? Kerry. That's not Kerry Brampton, is it? Do you know her? She comes to do my feet once a month. No one knows where she is. I've called her loads. Gosh, I hadn't heard about Kerry. This place is like midsummer. If you count up the people who disappear. I only saw her a week ago. She said she'd be back to do my bunions. Do the police know? Have you spoken to Stuart? He said he'd start a case, but she probably just left. Except she would have told me. They're going to speak to the people in the village. Oh, I hope it wasn't your bunions, did it, Glad? Goodness me, I hope not. Poor girl. I'm sure she'll be back soon. I think she's gone. Like all the rest. No, it'll be something simple. It usually is. I'm off then. See you at Bridge, Glad. Bye, Margaret. Give me a call when you have eggs, will you, Millie? Yes, Mrs Tillerson. Just these, please. You're not worried about your friend, are you, dear? She always answers. And there's nothing on Instagram. Oh, dear. People do have a habit of disappearing here. There you are. I think that's right. Millie, dear... I was wondering if you might help me with my flowers for the Libri show. Oh, Mrs Paul, I'd love to. Wonderful. But you mustn't tell anyone. We're not supposed to have help. It's in the rules. Silly, really. I'm getting to an age where I could do with an extra pair of hands. How much does your mum pay you here? Eight pounds an hour. Perfect. I'll pay you 20. Can you come Thursday night? It needs to be after dark so no one sees you or the committee will tell me off. That's if you're not busy with your friends, of course. Oh, no, I'm free. I'd love to. I love your garden. That's wonderful. Be sure no one sees you or I'll get in a whole heap of trouble with the committee. And don't tell anyone where you're going. We'll work by torchlight. It'll be our secret. You must promise me you won't tell anyone. I promise, Mrs Paul. Not even your friends? I won't. Good girl. What fun. See you Thursday, then. Oh, and Millie, dear, I only have one rule. You're to call me Gladys. Cool. Thank you, Mrs Paul. Can't wait. Hello, Auntie Glad. Hello, Stuart. 
I say, this looks worrying. Why are you in uniform? We're making inquiries about a missing person. Would you mind if we came in? This is Officer Sands. Good morning, Mrs Paul. Is this about Kerry, who does my feet? Millie said you'd be round to ask about her. Said she's disappeared. I'm afraid not. Do you mind if we come in? Of course. I've just made a coffee and walnut. It's warm, but we should probably have a slice. Sorry, Auntie Glad, we won't be eating. Mrs Paul, we're trying to piece together the movements of Amelia Cooper. She works in the village shop. Millie? Stuart? Don't tell me it's Millie. She didn't go home last Thursday night. At least she wasn't there Friday morning, and no one's seen her since. Oh, dear me. How terrible. Marcy must be beside herself. What about her friends? She has lots of friends, you know. We started there. Nothing. She's just vanished. What about her phone? Nothing. Mrs Paul, we spoke to a Mrs Margaret Tillerson and we understand you spoke to Amelia on Tuesday morning in the community shop. Yes, that's right, of course. Oh, how horrible. She must be with friends. She must be. Maybe she's with the Brampton girl. Did you notice anything unusual about her? No, I didn't. She's a lovely girl, you know. Always happy. And she seemed happy to you then? Yes, she was normal. We talked about her mother's eggs, mostly, if I remember. And she didn't say anything to you about wanting to go anywhere? No, nothing. Are you sure you wouldn't like some cake? I make a very good cake. Was that the last time you saw her? Well, I think so. I mean, I might have seen her later that day or on Wednesday or Thursday just to wave to in the high street as one does. Oh, her poor family. Thank you, Auntie Glad. If you can think of anything else, please let me know. I do need to come back and ask about Kerry Brampton at some point, but Millie's overtaken things for now. Of course, dears. How horrible. I must visit Marcy. Take some cake. Now, you've probably guessed what Gladys Paul is up to and how her begonias get to be quite so beguiling where the vicar and Kerry, the amateur podiatrist, and all the others who have disappeared over the last 20 years would be found, if only Stuart, the local policeman and Gladys's great-nephew, could see past his aged auntie's act. But just in case you haven't guessed, just as you should never judge a book by its cover, so you should never judge a person by their size or age or frailty. For along with what you might expect, the whist drives and the gardening, the bridge mornings and afternoon teas, the charity work knitting hats for African children, and not that they have much need of them, though don't tell Gladys that. She also spends her time on less likely activities. The planning and execution of four murders a year, three across the spring, one in early autumn, in time for the roses and the tulips, the hydrangea and the cherry, and of course, what she's always been known for, her begonias. Armed with that knowledge, then, we'll wind it back to that Thursday night. Oh, you're all warm. Come in, my dear. Come in, come in. Did anyone see you on the way? I don't think so. I went out my back garden, down the alley, then across the fields. You clever thing. It's a long way to walk. I rode. I put my bike down the side. Good girl. And didn't tell anyone? Not even friends? Nope. Where do your parents think you are? They don't know. They were out at the Tillersons. 
excellent, dear. With your help, I shall have the best begonias yet. Oh, look at you. You are lovely. <laughs> Thank you for helping me. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. Right. I've got the evening all planned out. Here's a head torch. First, we need to dig a deep trench. The ground is nice and soft, so it shouldn't be too difficult. That's for filling with fertiliser. I have a special secret recipe no one knows about. Then we'll have some tea and cake. I've made a lovely lemon drizzle. You've got boots, you clever thing. Now then, let's go through head torch and we'll whisper while we work. Voices carry on the wind. Oh, this is going to be the best year yet. Right, that'll do. That's a wonderful job. That's more than enough. Tea and cake, come on. Oh dear, I have worked you hard. Why don't you take off your boots and go through to the back room? The armchair by the French windows is the one for you. That'll be nice and comfy. I'll bring you some tea. A slice for you and a slice for me. Do you like sugar with your tea, dear? Yes, please. Could I have one teaspoon, please, Mrs. Paul? Certainly, dear. It's Gladys, dear. And a drop of something extra sweet to help you fall asleep. Oh, it's too perfect. Too perfect. Here you are, dear. Drink that down. That was thirsty work. Thank you, Mrs. Paul. It's Gladys, dear. And I'm glad you found it fun so far. I'm sorry, dear, I really am. It's my Ron, you see. He needs the company. And I need my rosettes. Pardon? Nothing, dear. <laughs> Just drink it down. Good girl. Just a little more. Good girl. Thank you for... Thank you... For what, dear? You're very... Kind. Millie. Amelia. Good girl. You sleep. I'd better take that cup, dear. And that cake. Now, rest your head back. There we are. There we are. So you don't fall on the way. I'm sorry, dear, I really am. Gladys is much less frail than she lets on. But for this part, she needs mechanical help. First, a cord tied gently round to hold Amelia's breathless body in its place. Then, at the press of a button, the armchair sprouts wheels. More buttons, hidden in the arm, control the speed. Gladys steers her now well-practiced route out through the French windows to the edge of the new dug grave. She would rather this part could be done with more decorum, but needs must. She removes the rope, another button tips the seat, and... Gladys winces as poor Amelia finds her final resting place, then sets to her part of the evening's work. Special mention, Mrs. Lorraine Smith for her beautiful clematis. 
Second prize, Mr. Tristan Patel for his hybrid polyantha floribunda. Now, our best in show this year. No surprise, ladies and gentlemen, for the seventh year running, our best in show, once again, it's those begonias, Gladys Paul. Hello, Mrs P. Good morning, Terry. How are you? Oh, you know. How are you finding the shop with the Coopers gone? Oh, it's good. Yeah, I like it. It's good. Oh, good. Plenty of eggs. Yeah. I'm afraid they're not home laid, you know. I get them from Calcott's farm. Not home laid like the Coopers used to do. It's such a shame they left. I do like a good egg. Not that, I mean, it's good to have you with us, of course, Terry. Weird about that girl. Amelia. Yeah. People do seem to disappear around here. You know, you should be careful. <laughs> yeah. Cheers, Mrs P. I'll be all right. I'm more worried about you. Oh, I think I'll survive. I've made it this far. Oh, good morning, Glad. Hi, Mrs T. Morning, Terence. Congratulations on the show, Gladys, again. I don't know how you do it. My John says you must be cheating. Illegal fertiliser, he says. I say he's just jealous. It's all a matter of time. I have a lot of time. I sing to them. People think it's silly, but I believe it makes a difference. Prince Charles does that, apparently. John's were very good, though. Tell him from me. He's tough competition. He might get me next time. Oh, glad. Did you hear? The vicar's gone. What do you mean? He took the service last week. No one's seen him since. Not in the vicarage, nor at Bingo, the vintage club, choir practice. He's disappeared off the face of the earth. Well, I never. To lose one vicar might be considered misfortune. To lose two is... something. Carelessness. Well, I never. You're in Grabble Drive, aren't you, Terry? I'm trying to set him up with Sandra from the Oxen's Yoke. That's a nice idea. She's a lovely girl. You'd probably get some free drinks as well. I'm happy by myself at the moment, thanks. Settling in. No one to monitor you. Something like that. <laughs> Sandra needs a good man. Good to have some new blood round here. And you need a good woman, Terence. Every single man in possession of... something in must be... In want of a wife. <laughs> no fortune, though. That's my problem. <laughs> oh, Sandra won't mind that. You've been in the yoke. Sure I will sometime, Mrs Leave T. Leave him alone, Margaret. He said he's happy. Young men like their freedom. How tall are you? Does that matter? Oh, no, just... wondering. Five-eight and a, and a quarter. Hmm, that's a good height. Maybe you'll be ready in a few months' time. Just these, please, Terry. Gladys Paul is always on the lookout, keeping notes. Terry's in her diary for several months hence. Must ask Terry from the shop if he might help me in the garden. Autumn prep, reads the entry. As innocent as all the others, the dates are bridge and bric-a-brac sales and coffee mornings. Ron anniversary, reads another note in small neat print. Roses to Sis. Sis is Sophia, Ron's sister, who is nearing 100 now. Once a year, on the anniversary of Ron's death, she gets a card from Gladys and a bunch of homegrown roses, literally a piece of Ron. Gladys likes the thought of this, 
of the pleasure her Ronald still brings to the world all these years later. She loves to share him like this. The church is permanently decorated with her cuttings. She gives them to the Tillersons, the Coopers, before they left. Even a vase behind the bar at the Oxen's Yoke. And of course her living room and kitchen are filled all year round with pieces of her Ron. In their cottage, as she feels it, his spirit lives on. The usual, Gladys. Oh, I think I'll try the Alderman this time, please, Sandra. Pint or half? Go on, I'll have a pint. Oh, celebrating, Mrs P. Terry, lovely to see you. Yeah, you as well. One sec. Oh, I just need to steal a packet of crisps. And kiss the barmaid. <laughs> Terry, not in front of the customers. It's a strict no-kissing policy here. Come on, out. You're not supposed to be back here. Official staff only. I am official staff. Keeping up morale. Voluntary work. That's enough. Other side of the bar, please. Oh, but I can't reach you from there. That's the point. Come on, round you go. And that's a pound for the crisps. A pound? One fifty to you. Put it on my tab. You don't have a tab. I didn't know about this. You kept this quiet, Terry, you rogue. Truth is, me and Sandra was already together. <laughs> Just didn't tell you, Mrs T. You know how everyone talks around here. Oh, I know. Well, this is lovely. You don't hang around, do you? You'd better treat her well, though, or you'll be in for it. That's on the house, Gladys. What? You never give me free drinks. Well... You don't give us free flowers. Look at these. Oh, they're your work, Mrs P. Left over from the show. Aye, Gladys. <laughs> Congrats. John, how lovely to see you. Thank you. Margaret and I are over there. Come say hello. Oh, you've got Tristy with you as well. His polyantha was something, wasn't it? I will. Sandra, that's another one for Glad and keep the change. But only if you drink it with us, Glad. <laughs> Thank you, John, I will. Hello, Marge. I'll be over, Tristy. You know about Gladys's exploits. It was the big one last week. The county. Oh, I know. You're top of everyone's gossip list. Well, that is gratifying. I hear it all in the shop. <laughs> Everyone thinks you're cheating. How interesting. Some people think you buy them in. Dear me. The smart money's on a legal feed. <laughs> you better watch out. They'll be spying on you. Well, I can't have that. Thank you for the warning. I hope you don't mind me asking. Are you two... Um, what? I'm a modern woman. I'm not waiting for marriage, if that's what you mean. Are you living together? Not yet. Early days. I'm working on her. Well, keep your freedom while you can. Plenty of time for all that. Gladys makes a mental note to keep an eye on Terry's living situation. She knows from growing vines that once they're intertwined, they can be difficult to prise apart, at least not without collateral damage. Several months later, and she's nearing Terry's entry in her diary. Just the eggs, Mrs P? That's it. Don't like to go without my egg. I hope you won't mind me saying I was sorry to hear about you and Sandra. Ah, everyone knows everything round here. Yes, I'm sorry. It's such a shame. You seemed so happy. I thought we was. Has she moved out already? Last weekend. Such a shame. No one to see you come and go. 
Yeah. I wonder if you could spare me some time to help in my garden. Yeah, of course. No problem. I need to dig a new bed out. I'm a bit on the feeble side these days. Uh, yeah. When do you want me? I'd pay you, of course, and feed you. I make an excellent Victoria sponge. Would next week Friday work for you? Evening would be best for me. It'll be dark, but I can put the outside light on. We can make a night of it. Yeah, I'd only be going the yoke. I don't want to do that right now. Excellent. Well, I'll remind you nearer the time. And now it's Friday evening. Gladys is readying for Terry when an unexpected visitor arrives. Hello, uh, Stuart. In uniform? I'm not on duty. Um, just finished. I wonder if I might... Of course. Would you like to pop your bike round the side? I'm sorry to disturb you, Auntie Glad. What a lovely surprise. Would you like some cake? Oh, go on then. <laughs> I'm off duty after all. I have carrot or chocolate. I'll go carrot. Thanks. Healthier. <laughs> Drink? No, I'm fine, thanks. This is a nice surprise. I wanted to ask you about... Kerry Brampton. I know this is ridiculous. I, I didn't want to come with my inspector. I haven't told him about this yet. I, I thought it best I, I pop in on my way home, have a chat. Your inspector? That sounds serious. Has something happened to her? Have you found her? We don't know. She probably found a man. That'll be all it is. Young women do that sort of thing, you know. I did with Ron. We ran away to Gretna Green, you know. My parents were beside themselves when we came back. They said he was too old for me. Poor old Ron. Seventeen years older he was. I found her car. You can't have. It was... That sounds promising, though. She must be back around. It wasn't being driven by her. Some idiot came out the yoke, drunk, and crashed it straight into a bollard. Right in front of me. He had no tax or insurance. It wasn't registered to him. I looked it up. It was Kerry's. He's probably her chap, then. I told you that would be it. Always a chap. He said he'd never heard of her. Said he'd got it at a scrapyard 50 miles away. Saved it from being destroyed. Then she scrapped it. I went to the yard. The owner admitted he'd sold it. Well, maybe he's her man. The scrapyard. The owner of the scrapyard said he got it from a little old lady, as he put it. He said she'd paid him to send it to China or, or destroy it or, or something. Oh dear, that sounds dubious. I do hope he didn't do something to poor Kerry. <sighs> There's a problem. Well, this sounds like a cup of tea problem. Always easier to solve problems with a cup of tea. I won't, Auntie Glad. Well, I will if you won't. More cake? No, thanks. I can't work it out, Auntie Glad. I know it's crazy. We'll work it out, Stuart. Tea always does the trick. So, what's the problem? He found a diary. Who did? The scrapyard guy. He took it out the glove compartment of the car before he sold it. Kept it in a lost property box. He assumed it had belonged to the elderly lady who sold him the car. Did it? No. It belonged to Kerry Brampton. It was her work diary, for her podiatry. We never found her list of appointments. She kept it all in that diary. Well, that's wonderful news. Sounds like you're getting somewhere. Her last appointment was with you. I contacted the person listed after you. 
she never arrived there. Well, I told you she'd had an appointment with me. She was going to come back and do my bunions. Poor girl never did. Yes, but I didn't know you were her last one. You might be the last person who saw her. And the car, the scrap guy says the lady paid him to destroy it. He sounds highly dubious. He said the car was fine. He said he knew he was taking advantage, but if someone wants to pay him to take a car, then he wasn't going to say no. Why are you here, Stuart? His records show the date he got it. It was the same day. The day you had your appointment with Kerry. She came here in the morning and no one saw her after. That afternoon, a scrapyard got her car from an elderly lady. That's preposterous. You need to investigate this scrapyard person. Sounds like he's fibbing. It is preposterous, which is why I don't think he made it up. Stuart, this is terribly silly. I don't even drive. You did used to, though, didn't you? I'm going to have to go back and show him your picture. Auntie Glad, if I do that, what will he say? Auntie Gladys, did something happen? Did you get scared? You know you can always call me. Stuart. Yes? I've done something terrible. Oh, Auntie Glad. What happened? I didn't mean to. Oh, of course you didn't. Auntie Glad. Oh, you silly thing. Stuart, I think I need to go to the police station with you. Oh, Auntie Glad. Could we please just have a cup of tea together first? Auntie Glad. Please, Stuart. Let's sit here for a moment. Pretend I'm not a silly old thing. Pretend Ron wouldn't be terribly disappointed in me. One last cup of tea. You do take sugar, don't you? One, please. As Gladys stirs the special sweetener, she remembers the moment this all began. Twenty years ago, here in the kitchen with her darling Ron. The memory she revisits every single time she makes a cup of tea. You might at least leave me the car. I'm leaving you the damned house. Oh, Ron. I'm going, Gladys. Please, Ron. Glad. Not rehearsing it again. Ronald, please. We've had this conversation, Glad, every damn day for the last month. I'm going. I know. Okay. Ron? Can we please sit in the garden one last time, have a cup of tea? How many last cups of tea? And enough damn tea? One more, please, for me. Pretend everything's all right, just for a few minutes, then you can go. The car's packed. Ten minutes. Glad. I am going. I know. Please. Ten minutes. On the bench by the cherry tree, for me to remember. Please. Thank you, Ron. What is it with men and younger women? Well, I'm sorry, dear. I won't be part of your cliché. Call it pride. At 80-plus years old, with a history of heart disease and overdoing it in the garden, 
plus an appropriately descriptive 999 call from a devoted wife. It's Ron, my husband. He's collapsed in the garden. Please, can you come? I've told him to get a garden so many times, but he won't have it. I think he's having a heart attack. He was dicking. He keeps holding his chest. Please, can you come? There is nothing suspicious in the circumstance. No autopsy is done. And Gladys is free to form a happier memory of their marriage and its final moments. Gladys snaps from her meditation and remembers Stuart. And Terry, whose arrival now would be inconvenient, not to mention unnecessary. She takes her mobile phone from her pocket and slips into the larder. Hello? Terry, good. I caught you before you left. I'm going to have to reschedule tonight. Something's come up. Everything all right, Mrs P? Yes, I've just unexpectedly got my hands full. I won't need you tonight after all. Would you be free another time? Sure. Uh, when's good for you, Mrs P? Could you do the middle of March? The Scourge of Little Nazing was written by Christopher Jameson. It was voiced by Jessica Fosterkew. Shannon Rucroft. Grace Dunn. Danielle Williams. Bronte Tadman. Chris Jameson. Owen Jenkins. And Arthur McBain. Thank well, you so there much. There we go. You always... Um, you another always, little thank... Huh? Go on. No, you... You go on. <laughs> uh, I was just going to crack on and saying thank you so much uh, for listening. We've had another another thank you to say. Thank you for the Great British Podcasts who have uh, listed us as a top podcast of this week as of recording, which is um, uh, May 10th. So thank you for that. That's, uh, that's fantastic. What are you doing with your phone? By the way, for those of you who don't know, I've got a throat <laughs> infection at the moment and we're recording remotely here. But Owen is... We're looking at each other down the phone and I don't know what <laughs> it is you're doing. Is You're moving it everywhere. <laughs> Can you just put your phone I down? I don't... Do you know what it is? Do you know what it is? I don't want the, that buzzy... noise to come through near the mic. Uh... Right, just thrilling stuff. Because when we were when we were just chatting, then I was just looking at your palm. Anyway, <laughs> yes, big thank you to uh, Great British Podcasts who have listed us as a top podcast pick of the week. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, and uh, keep on listening, keep on subscribing. We've got a new one coming up, haven't we, Arthur? Yeah, we got a new one coming up in the next couple of weeks. It's all recorded now. It's just in the edit. We're we're put, making it all sound all snazzy for you. We are, um, and yeah, keep your keep your ears out for the next one. It's called the case. It's a two parter. And um, Arthur, Arthur, do you like do you like Sherlock Holmes? I do love Sherlock Holmes. You're going to yes. hate this one. You're going to absolutely hate it. <laughs> <laughs> See you next time. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. <laughs>